This week's episode is brought to you by Patchworks Seattle, our lovely synth shop here in the Northwest. They got a new location, so if you're here in Seattle, please go visit them. The address is in the show description. They have a lovely new showroom. Each different type of device has its own section, so you can go over here and play with groove boxes, go over there and play with full synthesizers, and then you can head on over to the modular section where there is a giant even woodworks case that is absolutely beautiful. Um, but you know, you might be saying to yourself, I don't live in Seattle. Well, there is always the old internet. You can head over to P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S com for all your synthesizer needs they also have a used and consignment section that's always fun to check in on um, but they carry all the major module manufacturers and synth manufacturers including sequential and novation and make noise and instro dover and after their audio recovery effects shiny engineering and all that fun stuff patrick's.com p-a-t-c-h-w-e-r-k-s.com Hello and welcome back to Podular Modcast. My name is Tim Held. I hope you're having a good week. Summer's fading out. Have you gotten that water yet? We'll get to that. This week we have Nate Mercero on the show. Uh, he is a songwriter, producer, guitarist, just kind of a, a renaissance person. Um, but I asked him on here today specifically to talk about the album that he made with the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, yeah, I said the Golden Gate Bridge. How do you do that? Well, we're going to get into that. Um, he's also written songs for Leon Bridges, played guitar for um, Jay-Z. I think he helped with writing some of uh, Lizzo's songs, kind of all over the place. But uh, yeah, just buckle up. This is a really great, great chat. We, we cover some ground. I feel like I was talking with a, uh, a kindred spirit. Um, yeah, so we're going we're gonna to talk all about recording outside and using nature as inspiration or the sounds around you as inspiration but before we get into that i'm really excited to finally be able to um share with you that i have an empress uh the zoya euro bureau the the modular version of the the zoya um i've had a lot of fun with it i've been creating patches i created one called sargoni weaver um, you know, cause you have to name your patches. Uh, and I'm going to show you that in a little bit here. It's like, um, it's like a bunch of effects with envelope following and granularization, you know, my, it's, it's kind of my thing. Uh, I'll play a little something, uh, with that here in a moment. But first I want to talk about the Patreon. Um, I've been talking a lot about wanting to grow the Patreon because I have all these ideas and my, my wife brought it to my attention that I haven't shared with you guys what these ideas are. I have some specific things that I want to do um, to make the show better. And the first thing is, is getting, um, getting a nice setup for video. So I want to do video episodes because I don't want to just do the, the Zoom recordings and upload those. That just doesn't sound that just doesn't seem, um, I don't know. That just seems kind of low rent to me. Um, so I want to, you know, get some gear for that. I also want to, uh, get a nice video setup so I can do video versions of the bonus episodes, especially if I'm doing like, um, deep dives on particular modules. So if any of this sounds interesting, it would mean a lot to me if you could head over to patreon.com forward slash modular modcast. And, uh, 
and join up and, and you know we'll get weekly bonus episodes uh, I'm, I'm starting to do d- deep dives I'll take your, your questions uh, you know like we can we can make these bonus episodes whatever you want but how cool would they be if they were video and not just video episodes um, but I also want to do like I don't know we can maybe do some behind the scenes at after later audio or a tour of patchworks um, you know anything like that there's a lot of cool stuff here in Seattle, and I think I could make a lot more cool content, but what's what's kind of winging me right now or keeping me from doing that is the workload that it takes uh, to do video on top of just the podcast production is um, is pretty big, but there there's some specific gear that will be uh, that will streamline that process and actually make it to where it won't be that that much more work. Um, so yeah, I would. That's that's. Those are the specific ideas. Just a lot more video stuff. Um, just more content for you to sink your teeth into. Uh, more modular stuff. I, I'm having fun with this. This, uh, you know, spending time on a bonus episode with one module. I'm gonna do that with the Euro Bureau uh, this week probably. Um, but yeah, I've got the 3D joystick from Doper. I don't think I've talked about that one yet. And we're gonna have some new modules to talk about here be announcing those in about uh, 15 days 14 days so 13 days 13 days anyways lots of cool stuff thanks for coming back to podular podcast go jump in some water before the summer ends okay this is uh me scrolling around an AM radio uh, and putting it through the patch that I made on the Euro Bureau. Let's just uh, let's just vibe on this for a minute, and uh, I'm gonna walk through what this patch is and how I built it on the Euro Bureau on this week's bonus episode. So yeah, sit back and enjoy the ride, and then we're gonna chat chat with uh, Nate Mercer. chat with you today um you came to my attention a friend of mine um introduced me to the duets album because uh he knew that i was kind of you know into doing somewhat similar things in that i like to jam jam with uh the surrounding sounds of nature or wherever i am at but uh, i want to get to that a little later first i just want to get to know you um so where did you grow up um I grew up in Poway, which is like okay. North County, San Diego. It's like inland North County. 
Yeah. Okay. Cool. Right on. And um, I've read I've read a little bit of uh, some some like interviews and stuff. So you you started with with music pretty young, right? Yeah, I was lucky to have my parents like support me when I was like asking for piano lessons in third grade. So it oh, you were okay. There. That's yeah. kind of odd. It seems like a lot of parents like make a kid take piano lessons at that age and then they come around to liking guitar or something later but you wanted to play piano at a young age yeah yeah it was like uh after school program type of okay. piano lessons and then it did switch to guitar um like in middle school time but yeah right right yeah they were so yeah. Th- so that that drive at that age because what's third grade is what like i can't even remember how old you are it's like, like 10 eight, or something like that eight to eight, eight or yeah. nine yeah um was there anything like, were there any artists or pieces of music or anything that were compelling you to do this? Or was it more of the allure of the after school program, like a social activity? Yeah, that's a good question. I wasn't like into music at that point. Uh huh. I, I didn't really have any preferences or, or anything at that age. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting question because I kind of don't remember. It must have just been like, that's an instrument that makes sound. That's something I haven't seen before. I'm uh-huh. interested in that. That it's probably as simple as that. Yeah. Okay. And did you stick with it yeah. after you got into those lessons? Yeah, stuck with it. Learned some classical music and started asking my teacher to teach me like jazz and I, I found like a blues piano book, uh-huh. and she was kind of not into it. She was like, "No, uh-huh. you got to <laughs> you got to do like Bach and all these things." And that was kind of the first moment where I was like, Oh, I, I like music for real. And I, I want to do it. And I, I don't know if I had this exact thought, but looking back, it was kind of like a moment where it was like, Oh, I'm going to do it my own way now. Or uh-huh. there's things about this that I like that are more, uh, that are different than what I'm being taught. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's always like a, I feel like that's a moment there when you, when you kind of get some pushback from whatever it is that's showing you, like whether it's a teacher or a certain, you know, thing you're trying to learn and you kind of get some pushback from that because you want to try something else. That's and, so true. Yeah. You know, like it's like, that's what, it's a that really is kind of like experience. the mark. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you have anything like that too? Um, I'm trying to think. I think it was just like wanting to, pl- honestly, it was probably just like I could play, you know, some, some open chords and, you know, people in my family tend you know, they were like, that sounds good. And then wanting to play like punk rock or something. They're like, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not that, right. <laughs> you know, getting into metal, you know, at a young age and wanting to drop, maybe drop detuning was something that a teacher was like, oh, what are you doing? Right. But, uh, right. You know, it's, it seems like, especially with young people, there's always like, I think that's why like punk rock is so appealing at, to young, to young people. It's just like, you don't want to be told what to do. You know, that's kind of like, yeah. there's a certain age where lessons aren't like, I, I wish I would have stuck with guitar lessons. I only, t- I had two teachers that I maybe took lessons from for, you know, less than a total year of my life and everything else has just been like by ear or just, and I wish I would have stuck with it, but there was like this like weird part of me that was like wanted to do it my own way that ended up really being yeah. detrimental in the long run. But <laughs> We had a similar experience then with gravitating towards metal and punk music. I, I did yeah. a similar thing. I, I was in a lot of bands like that growing up and there's just mm-hmm. something about it that was like I was learning in school too I was in the marching band and I was going all that route as well playing French uh-huh. horn and in the orchestra but to have 
that world and also something where I was doing what felt like the opposite of that. Yeah. Was right. Yeah. Really totally. like, uh, just satisfying to do. So yeah. you were, you were mature enough to, to stick with like the marching band, French horn side of things, even when you were doing like the punk side, like uh, kind of two separate musical selves or something. Yeah. I don't know if I would call it myself mature at that age, but, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> but yes, I did stick with it. And it was, it was more just that I was so interested in all of it. Like I really mm-hmm. loved the music we were doing in marching band and, uh, like the field shows and the orchestra and it showed me music like Stravinsky, which is like incredibly powerful. And it was, that was really formative to me too. Just like something that is so immersive in such a world. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. there was a lot of parallels between all of them. And and it wasn't like, it wasn't like because I was in the punk band, I couldn't do the other thing. It was like all of it together felt really exciting. Yeah. That's, I think, I think the reason I use the word mature is because looking back on my own experience, um, you know, I played, I played in band so I could play drums in the pet band so I could play at the football and basketball yeah. games, you know? Um, and my, you know, my teacher hated me cause I was like a punk metal drummer. So I was like playing too fast and, but everybody that was there liked it cause I was rocking, but the teacher hated it. Yeah. Um, but like, I think of my own self and like, I couldn't al- like say out loud that I liked certain type of music. Mm when I was in high school and middle school because, you know, a fear of being like made fun of because we were like the, we were like the skaters, Mm. whatever that meant, you know? And there was just a lot of like this like weird social pressure that I could, I wish I could go back and be like, none of that matters. Like you you like this stuff. You should just enjoy it. I feel like I, like I could have explored a lot more musically. So that's why I use that word mature to, to like see you being like, I'm glad to hear you didn't have some like asshole punk rock friends that like, you know, just like browbeat you out of your other interest you know, right right no, the, fucking mean man <laughs> it's totally true and i i did experience some of that but it it yeah. still was like music is just i'm not gonna let <laughs> this stop me from enjoying something you know yeah like, that's awesome yeah so you you pursued it through college then i did yeah i i went to san francisco and i went to san francisco state and i had like a i guess what you would call an emphasis in music there among other things that I was doing. And I, I was playing guitar at that point and still playing French horn. And, uh, yeah, just, I kind of got like a well-rounded, uh, like state school education there where I was also able to join like, you know, school ensembles and, and play in that way too. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, I did it all in, uh, in college as well. I just kind of kept continuing and then guitar playing, at that point started to reveal itself as the thing that I'm going to really focus on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it kind of branched out from there. It's, uh, yeah. And then, you know, I was making my own music still and kind of producing quote things right. myself and just uh-huh. making a ton of music without any, uh, goal of putting it out or doing it. I was just kind of making it and, uh, building a catalog. Yeah. Okay. So how do you find, cause you have like, you have a pretty, like you, it seems like you have a pretty awesome career. Like you get to do a lot of your own stuff and there's a lot of variation even within your own music that you make, but then there's a lot of variation with the artists that you've worked with, you know, playing guitar or producing. So how do you find your way into like, I mean, 
you probably get tired of asking about it, but I got to ask how you, you, how do you stumble into working with Jay-Z and Leon Bridges and Rizzo right. and stuff like this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a good question because it's hard to really like parse it out. But I think that maybe like a simple way to think of it that I'm just kind of realizing in this moment is that it's not too different than what I've always done. It's like, uh-huh. I've, I've always been interested in a lot of different things. So it kind of makes sense to me that I would end up in a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. Um, and since I've been interested in a lot of different things, I've been able to acquire a, a little bit of skill in a lot of different places. So when I show mm-hmm. up to like a, the Jay-Z session where our whole goal was to recreate samples and then also um, explore where those samples could have gone if they were like a different song. So mm-hmm. that was kind of the process for that. And it's uh, it just allows me to pull from a lot of different places. So yeah, it, it, it just kind of feels in line with how everything's always been, but it's just now happening in a way that lines up with other artists and I'm able to kind of go back and forth and find a lot of different places to make music and different circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the sense, the sense that I get from just like listening to your own music and then seeing what you've done with other people is you've always kind of just like done you and it's just really worked out, you know, like you've like what you, what you have honed as far as skills is like something that people um, are after are looking for. And, and that just seems like the fucking sweet spot really, you know, I do appreciate the variation that I can interact with. It's a, yeah, it allows for a lot of new inspiration to happen constantly, or if I've been putting a lot of attention on a certain thing, it's as if the other things in my life start like growing in the background. And then when I'm done with that one thing that I've really focused on, I kind of look around and go like, Oh, well now I'd really like to do this type of thing or this type of thing is really gaining my attention now. And it's, it's usually Mm -hmm. the most different it could possibly be from what I'm, yeah, (laughs) I've done before. That's the kind of the pattern I'm seeing. Um, yeah. Well, that's awesome. It'll stay fresh for a while. You know, if that, if that trend continues, like that's something that, you know, as just my, my own like musical journey as a musician, I'm constantly in flux and, and slowly morphing into like just following different interests that are kind of feeding each other and, you know, going from playing indie rock to making weird modular field recording, you know, like that whole, that's, that's, that's super cool. Um, so is there like, I feel like with, with where you're at, like there, there must've been like, is there like one project that kind of lent you like that kind of got the word out and then you just kind of build on that or like, Mm. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, it's it seems like sometimes you'll be doing a lot of different things and you're putting a lot of music out either by yourself or with other people. And then sometimes just one thing hits in a certain way. And it's not even necessarily mm-hmm. bigger or much different than anything else you've been doing, but it just happens in such a way that it's tipped, uh, I don't know, push that domino a little bit. So if, like uh-huh. what, whatever yeah. world I was in, folks started being like, Oh, this person is really committed to this because I was actually really deeply in the touring world for a while. So it took me a while to mm-hmm. shift from a guitarist for hire to a songwriter, producer, and artist in my own right. So mm-hmm. it was, it was a, a kind of a, you know, something that takes a while, but at a certain point feels like it just turns on. And that project yeah. for me, I, th- I think it was the the Leon record, a uh, good thing. Leon Bridges, mm-hmm. good thing. Yeah, it was the first time I was really brought in as 
a producer, writer, musician, like on a holistic level on the whole project, not just a song here and there. And uh-huh. that was uh, Ricky Reed who brought me into that situation. And uh, it just went great. It happened really fast. I was able to use a lot of music that I had created leading up to that point. Like I told you oh, about cool. like the catalog of stuff I had been building. I mm-hmm. I still kind of work that way where I just am making things all the time when I don't quite know what it's for yet. And then I can usually pull them in in some form. Um, that's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah, that, that works out really well. So it sounds like you seem very prolific. Are you con- just kind of constantly writing and recording just as like a, a practice? Yes, I, it goes in waves. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll be really like churning out a lot of material or working on a very specific idea and a lot of different forms of it. Um, and then sometimes it's, it's kind of more of a, a practice where I'm maybe not... Uh, Maybe not just as sure about what I'm doing, but I'm still doing it. And then yeah. those things tend to come to into focus later. Like it's, I think it's important for me to keep doing it though. Cause it's just what I am on the earth to do or one of the things I'm on the earth to do. So it feels like just something that I need to, or I get to continually spend time doing and then sort it out later. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I feel like the stuff that I'm like, I hate to use the word force, but if I, if I feel like, Hey, I need to, I need to make something like either to try to get out of a a funk or something, or, um, if I'm like, have some sort of deadline as sometimes as I'm making something that I don't feel super inspired about, I think it's not that great, but then Mm -hmm. come back to it later when I'm not in kind of a negative mind space and and actually find a use for it or think that it's, it's much better than I did. That's so true. And I, I experienced that too. It's, it's really like in that moment you you kind of don't know, like, cause you might be in a different mind state. Like mm-hmm. you might be feeling mm-hmm. down about something else in your life or just focused on something else. And you can't really give this thing the attention it deserves, but you're still acting as a musician, as someone who's channeling and sharing music. So when you totally. look back on that, you, you can, or at least I, I can often look back and go like, Oh, that, there was something there. I just didn't see it at the time. And now yeah, it makes a lot of yeah. sense on this, uh, like, Leon Bridges record that I'm doing now I look back through the catalog and I'm like oh that was a special melody that I, I didn't really appreciate at that time and I can use it in this new mm-hmm. context or whatever that would be anything like that do you ever find something like when you're going through stuff that you've you've created in the past and not remember it at all and be like I made this this is really great <laughs> weirdly that almost never happens to me I okay that's I have, only happened to me a few times but I've been pretty um, oh wow I really like this well it's not that I don't <laughs> I, I do find things that I didn't know I liked, but I, if I find that I remember everything and I don't know if that's going to continue through my life because yeah. <laughs> uh, there's only so much space, but right. at this point <laughs> I pretty much remember everything, which I guess is a blessing in a, in a certain way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you have, you have three, three albums or an album, three, two albums and an EP that I definitely want to get to. Yeah. Um, just because I feel like you've, you've approached things in such a, a really unique way. And, um, I didn't realize when I listened to, for the first time, joy, joy techniques, um, that there are no synthesizers that you just use guitar synthesizers. Yes. And so I had to go back and re-listen to that because that gives that album a whole new context. Um, yeah, but I just want to hear about kind of the the inception of that idea and and the the process of that. Did you? I see some some drum symbols behind you. Like, were you mm-hmm. playing most of the instruments on that record? Or um, yes, but also there's certain moments of the record where 
it breaks into a full band performance. So it's okay. there's a real mixture of like kind of me in the studio creating things top to bottom and also full live group performance and then edits of that. Okay. Yeah, so it's it's a lot I was going to say things. it has a real live band feel to it some like as it gets really rocking like Yes, a big presence it's a on the fun record. album. Yeah, thank you. And a big presence on the album is uh Aaron Steele on the drums and uh Yeah, and and then we had a whole group of musicians for a, a few choice moments on the record. Um so Yeah, it's a uh, I became really fascinated with uh, guitar synthesizers around the time of that record. And as you might know, I'm sure you do when you find an instrument sometimes and you're like, Oh, this is a voice that I've kind of wanted to speak through for a while. And Mm -hmm. I didn't really know it until I found it. And that record was not necessarily all from that, but the instruments that I found really helped me uh, create a sound that I was wanting to create and the the, mm-hmm. the guitar synthesizer that I used the most on it was the GR 300 and that specific instrument really spoke to me because to me it sounds like a mixture of a guitar and a horn and that's those are my two instruments like I play yeah, guitar yeah. and French horn so to play something that exists right in between them it, you know it's it's really like special to me I, I really feel like I found something that I can really express myself on so a lot of that record was like exploring that and then exploring the new music that i was feeling and the new emotions of uh of what life was like at that time yeah Yeah. i mean i love that you call it joy techniques because it just sounds like elation like it's a very uh, like a very like like a lot of the 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 first half of it at least is just like if you if if you want to listen to something that's going to like put you in a peppy mood yeah you know on a nice day and go for a walk you know like that's that's a great album for that, yeah you know? yeah you know it's it was really about creating space to experience joy and mm-hmm. i was really focused on paying attention to how i was feeling when i was making the music and if i had that inspiration i would allow it to be special and kind of preserve mm-hmm. it through the process and try to follow that as much as possible and I, I'm still doing that, but that was kind of the first experiment in something like that. And it was creating an intentional space to experience that. Also because life was just very uh, difficult and stressful for me at that time in a lot of different ways. So I felt the need to create like each song on there at that time for me was like a specific technique in a way. It was like, uh, this is a place okay. that I'm going to go. And this is a song title that I'm going to consider as I go there. And uh, Oh, wow. I like that. Okay. Yeah. So let, let me ask you this as far as like you, you said it's kind of, you know, a difficult time and this album just sounds like something that would have been made and maybe like the best time of your life. But it sounds like you say it was a difficult time. So you're you're able to take that energy and kind of transform it like. Yeah. Like if you're depressed, can you can you force out a happy song to help you feel better type? I guess I can. Yeah. I didn't yeah. really I didn't really consider it that way because I wasn't thinking of it at the time so directly. I was like Right. It's it's kind of like I'm able to speak about it in hindsight right now because I know where I was, uh-huh. I know where I am now. I know what that music meant to me at the time too. So But yeah, there there is that a sense actually of like, maybe offers yeah. a more fascinating answer. Like you naturally just did that. Yeah, almost like out of rather necessity. Rather than trying to. <laughs> it was like yeah, I kind of right, was like, right. this is what I have to do my own music right now so that when I'm performing it, I can enter the space that I actually want to spend more time in. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's, that's healthy sounding. 
rather than like, cause you know, I think there's a lot of people, um, who, you know, like make really depressing music when they sound really depressed or try to try to like express what they're feeling through song. And it comes out as, you know, some, some darker music. Um, I'm just really fascinated with like the, like the, the parallels of, of, somebody's kind of a snapshot of somebody's psychological state in that point of their life and what they are able to create, if anything, like myself, like if I'm in a, if I, I suffer from um, like pretty bad depression, if I'm really, really depressed, I don't make anything like I can't Mm -hmm. muster up the energy even to make depressing music. Yeah. So it's just, and then some people like can only write if they're depressed and it just sounds like, I'm will I mean I could be way off but I'm 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 venturing a guess that you haven't suffered from major depression. I don't think that I have. Your whole life. Not not yeah. in the way that I know friends of mine or the way you're speaking about it. Like I have more of an anxious side of me if if I do go into a place okay. like that where Uh-huh. it's uh it's kind of a sense of like uh existential like uh thought spiral like i, I need mm-hmm. to right yeah uh, i need to do something that's kind of my thing yeah <laughs> you know like yeah I, but i also i i'm not completely unfamiliar with with feeling depressed and not being able to do anything it's i'm, I'm not a machine mm-hmm. you know i do have times where right I, right I really right can't do it so i do understand both sides at least how they relate to me yeah 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 it just sounds like you're like you're naturally like like i said like and I don't want to get too heady and I'm absolutely not a psychologist or anything, but it sounds like you like, because even though you said, Oh, I didn't even like think of it that way, that it was just like a natural, healthy progression. And I I just think that's, I think that's really interesting that you ended up creating something called joy techniques in a, in a kind of a more trying time of your life. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And it, it seems like, you know, that music was really, a space to go. It was like, I can at least create this space that is intentionally trying to create joy, like really pure expression of that Mm -hmm. and inspiration. And it's something that I've been tapping more into with, you know, music I'm working on now. It doesn't really depend on what it sounds like. It's more the intention behind it is that I want to follow as much inspiration as possible. And I want to share that there's, there's enough, things in the world to me that feel um like they glorify not glorify they uh they put a lot of attention on like suffering and uh Mm -hmm. just what it's what's difficult about being alive and Mm -hmm. i think those things show up even for me when i'm in the joyful state too because it's more of just an appreciation of of everything that could possibly happen from the highest high to the lowest low and it's just like letting that be uh, a very powerful thing to share, but also mm-hmm. the, the, the push towards of appreciation is, is really big for me and appreciating life is, uh, that's the energy that I want to exist in as much as possible. And it's the energy that I want to share through music. And I, I think when you make that type of music with that intention, whether it's clear or not in the way the music actually sounds, those, uh, vibrations of sound really affect people and you can make 100%. things better. Um, even in an incredibly subtle yeah. way with a very specific person or, you know, yeah, it can be very minute, but I think it's valuable. I absolutely agree. I totally agree with that. I, and it's, it's, it's like, um, I love the appreciation thing. It's, it's, it's like, a, 
it's an acknowledgement of the the peaks and valleys you know like you have to have if you want peaks you have to have valleys and you know if if you find something very joyous and very beautiful then you kind of have to like admire their opposite because you wouldn't be able to identify you know beauty and, and joy without ugliness and, and sorrow you know yeah. and so and like so when I'm creating if I create something that's sad and it sounds like if it's like just produced in a way that I think sounds interesting or amusing tones and timbres that I really like, then I'm actually in a great mood and I'm really excited because I can't create when I'm really bummed, but I can like process that stuff later when I am in a good mood. And it is almost kind of like an homage or, or, or some, something it's like, yeah. I, I don't know. I, th I feel like that's kind of related to what you were just saying. It is. It's um, a recognition yeah. of that space mm -hmm. that you were in and also how it exactly. can be yeah. translated and how it can be shared, how that can create community around that too. And, you know, yes. yeah. Yeah. And just the different, and, and then once you kind of release it out there to the world, you know, what one person finds dark and gloomy, another person, you know, will find beautiful. You know, I've yeah. had, I've had people say both like, Oh man, you, were you like, did you want to like kill yourself when you made that? I was like, no, I was in a great mood. And then other people are like, Oh, that sounds really fun. And yeah. you know, it's just, it's, it's weird how once, once it leaves, once it leaves your possession for lack of a better word, it really take, can take on its own life. Yeah. That happened you with know? the golden gate project. Actually it, uh, yeah, I found it like just by thinking that that sound was actually beautiful. And then when I started sharing it, a lot of the response has been like, uh, more appreciative of the the haunting aspect of it and it, and it is haunting I, I did see that but people were really like commenting and sharing like oh this reminds me of all the people who took their lives on the bridge and all this oh, and I, I didn't yeah. really think of it that way until I listened back I was like wow that that is that thing where I saw the beauty and the ethereal quality of it and then someone else in that exact same music felt this like kind of longing sadness from it and it all exists in there at the same mm -hmm. time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's funny to, cause I listened to joy techniques after listening to the, the golden gate project mm -hmm. and that is a, they're totally different yeah. worlds, you know? Um, but I think coming from, you know, enjoying field recordings and just really like getting, like I personally get really excited about, you know, things that make weird noises in whether it's a build the way wind, like we have the ferry system here in Seattle mm -hmm. and there's a certain spot on the front of the ferry. If you're walking up to the upper deck where you stand right at the top of the stairs and there's just this crazy whistling whine sound and, and, and flat and like metal straps oh, wow. hitting each other. And it's just like, I fucking love that sound so much, yeah. but it's because like I'm after these naturally occurring sounds. So like it's, it's transitioned from like something that could sound like scary or dark or annoying even into kind of this like weird realm of beauty. So yeah. I wonder if people who give you that feedback are maybe more used to listening to more accessible quote unquote music or mm -hmm. kind of more straightforward stuff because I hear what they're saying with that, but I didn't think of suicide cases or anything like that. I was just mm -hmm. thinking of like, this is such a cool vibration that you locked into to like literally jam with the golden gate bridge. Yeah. <laughs> like that's to me is just beautiful. Yeah. Know? I thought it was too. And it, it's like, I find when I do recordings like that, or even if I just have my phone and I'm, I'm listening to the birds and they, 
I'm just spending time actually pressing record and kind of being silent. I all it always shifts my perspective towards appreciation after and mm-hmm. during. Definitely. It just, like it's just something mm-hmm. that I that record was a real exercise in putting that energy to its fullest potential. Like, oh, I see this thing in the world that I think is valuable. I want to appreciate it. I want to capture it. And I also want to make music with it. It's like mm-hmm. doing this project and seeing how uh, great I felt and inspired through the entire process and also how that energy has uh, expanded out to people who also appreciate it. It's been a real lesson for me to fully follow that as much as I can find it because it's always valuable. And Def- yeah, definitely. It, it really uh, creates a way to look at the world that is uh, just the way I want to be. I want to always be able to look yeah. for those things and appreciate them. Yeah. Yeah. I live by uh, like a, a busy freeway and Boeing field is right across the river from me. And then SeaTac airport, like oh, wow. I'm right under the, the like, so it's really loud here. Yeah. Um, there's always some noise going on, but like I've got to the point where I can just lay here at night and listen to it. And I just pretend it's like an ambient album yeah. or something. And I actually can like enjoy the soundtrack of my apartment at night. That's which is like, sounds so no, that's like, advanced lift my yeah. pinky as I dream. <laughs> yeah. That's very advanced appreciation. But, um, yeah. I mean, it's, it, but it comes out of kind of like necessity. It's like that yeah. or be annoyed by it, you know? That's so true. Um, yeah. So I, like for people who don't know, cause we just jumped into the golden gate project. Yeah. Um, can you kind of walk us through, the whole thing. I listened, I listened to your, uh, your interview on the NPR, um, the website there, they did like a, a short yeah. thing and I was like, this isn't enough. I want all the information. So can you first, they, all they said was they changed something to make the bridge more aerodynamic. Like what does that mean? Like it's, it, it's less wind resistant for the actual structure or the cars, um, for the actual structure, as far as I understand. Okay. So I okay. discovered it just by seeing an article on the San Francisco Chronicle and mm-hmm. the headline was something to the effect of the bridge is making this humming sound. It's driving people crazy. When are they going to shut it up? And they mm-hmm. used some of that exact language. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is really unique. And I, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know the bridge was making any sound at that point. And, um, I ended up looking at all the press around. It was all negative. It was all these Bay area, uh, like newspapers or magazines just, kind of being like this thing sounds like a giant wheezing kazoo it sounds terrible we hate Uh it you know like (laughs) Mm -hmm. and when i actually heard it i was like oh this is amazing like it's Mm -hmm. it's definitely overwhelming i I do understand being subjected to that constantly would be really intense so i do have some sympathy there but objectively the sound was just beautiful and it was so musical it was playing multiple notes and depending how the wind would move directionally or even speed wise, it would change notes. And oh, okay. I could tell that just from the videos that I had seen people post like on cell phones, you could hear all the wind just kind of blasting through the microphone, but through that you could hear these tones. And it was enough for me to be like, okay, this is, this is not being appreciated right now. All the press about this is negative, but it's actually unique and special. So, I want to do something with this. Let's like, let's, let's reframe it. But yeah, I think I got away from your original question, which was they, uh, they are retrofitting the bridge and they're changing the handrails. Mm-hmm. So all across the bridge, 
they're making the handrails you know, I, I don't want to speak like I know exactly what I'm talking about because I, I didn't I didn't look at the report or anything. I just read these articles. Uh-huh, right, so, right. <laughs> um, but uh-huh. they're changing the guardrails essentially, and that okay the new thing that they're adding makes the bridge sing when the wind hits a certain speed, and it basically vibrates the whole thing. Um. So yeah, that's that's what's really happening, and and it it really uh, reverberates out depending on how fast the wind is going that day it reverberates for miles like you can really hear it it's pretty incredible wow so um yeah but it started with that and then just kind of the negative spin that was happening with it i just saw an an opportunity there to be like this is something special let's like let's at least go record this because when this doesn't happen it's going to be meaningful to have a field recording of the bridge and be like this is something that only happened once in the entire history of the bridge and now it's it's a recorded artifact. Um, and then in speaking with Zach Parks, who is a, a friend of mine from San Francisco State and an engineer and musician, it just felt like the perfect project for us to do together because we, we used to live in San Francisco together. We could see the bridge from our rooftop in the Sunset District. So it was just this thing that I was like, I know we have to do this together. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we just spoke on the phone like just the next day and looked at the weather report and we're like, the wind is picking up. Like you could see like there was going to be high wind for the next couple of days. So it happened so fast. Like, okay, I'm going to drive up tomorrow. We're going to do this, you know? Uh huh. And, uh-huh. uh, it was really exciting. It was like one of those things that we were just talking about it and just considering what it would be like to do wet with the bridge and just having really excited conversations and being very inspired together and just making it happen quick and s- spontaneously. And so within two days I was driving up and, uh, scouting locations with Zach. Yeah. Yeah. The location thing was the first thing that I thought of. Like, did you, did you find multiple locations to kind of like get different tones or, or is that even a thing? Like, does it sound different from different places? Um, it seems that depending on where you are or even the day or the wind speed, it changes tone slightly. Like I have a couple friends in the Bay who are also musicians who were like, Oh, it was in C for you. It was actually in C sharp for me in this area. So, Uh and that was, you know, we didn't have quite enough time to really explore every possible version of where it, it was making sound. Right. We, we, we tried the night we got there, um, to go beneath the bridge on both sides. There's these little marinas and we tried to go under the bridge. We Mm -hmm. thought that would be like great, but there was no sound happening that night. And the next day we kind of just drove around. We drove on the San Francisco side and then pretty quickly we we're like, I think Marin could be really cool. Cause we, we'd spent time in the Bay. We were familiar enough to know that there's a great view of the bridge over there. And mm-hmm. when we went up to the headlands, there's uh, a very big like tourist spot that is a kind of a hill that looks directly over the bridge. And that was where we first heard it. We're like, Oh wow, it's happening. And it's one of those experiences where when it starts to make sound, it reminds me of like when you're with a group of people and you hear thunder and everybody's like, Oh wow. Uh-huh. Like, you know, there's like uh-huh, a sense uh-huh, of like uh-huh. something that's so much bigger than all of you. And you all just kind of look at each other excited uh-huh. when the bridge would like flare up in volume. That was the feeling that we all had. We all just kind of like looked around at people. We didn't know like, Whoa, this is happening, you know? And I had the uh-huh. field recorder and I was just kind of capturing it from there and doing my best to just hide it in my shirt from the wind. And, uh, 
just the whole goal at the very beginning was like, let's just capture this. Let's not worry about duetting with it because that was kind of stressing me out at the moment. It was just like, let's just get the sound of this because it's so amazing. And then through that process, we started hiking around and Zach discovered this spot down the hill that was an old uh, bunker. Um, And it had this really great concrete structure. It was in a cove, slightly protected from the wind, great view of the bridge. Not a lot of people walking by so it felt private enough and uh he was like man we got to do this like i know you're getting into the like the field recording and appreciating that but i think we got to do it so he he really was the the push to make that make that happen i obviously i brought all the gear anyways but uh Uh he was really like we gotta do it now so yeah he found the, the spot down there so is is everything um, tracked on the on the album then from that same spot? Yes. Yeah, okay. everything on the okay. record is uh, live. It's it's we really okay. just tried to capture what it was like to be there. The only thing that we changed was we EQ'd it so the wind wasn't such a harsh presence because you know what it sounds mm-hmm. like when there's wind on a microphone. It just like it's yeah. overwhelming and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's non-musical and kind of takes away from the experience. So there is some drastic EQing to pull out the low and high end and keep this kind of band in the middle of the tone of the bridge and the tone of my synthesizer. But everything else is just, it's it's a very stark presentation of what it was like that day. So you play guitar synth and then did you play some saxophone or French horn on? No, it's all guitar synthesizer. Like what? Oh, it's all guitar synthesizer. Okay, wow. Yeah, because there's some, there's some stuff that really sounds like very much like. Yeah, it's a, I've been able to get inside the tone of the GR 300, uh, just by spending as much time as I have with it. And I use a slide with it too, which is very helpful in this situation because the bridge is not exactly in key. So I was kind of just following right. where it was and it was basically in C major, but certain notes were a little flat and I just had to kind of follow that. But yeah, the gear was really, it was the GR 300. It was a, a Digitech reverb pedal. Um, a pedal called the plus pedal, which is like a sustain pedal and, mm-hmm. um, a looper. I didn't use the looper too much, but there is a, a little bit of like when I would find a place to kind of exist for a while, there would be some, you know, kind of patterns moving in the background. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the extent of it. And the sound of the bridge and the sound of the guitar synthesizer, I was going to bring the guitar synth no matter what, because it's just my instrument of choice right now. And it's the thing that I'm Mm -hmm. feeling most expressive on, but it was kind of amazing how great those tones ended up working together. Yeah. Yeah. No, it sounds, it sounds so good. And you didn't, you didn't alter the chain other than the EQing you mentioned, you didn't like process or affect the bridge sound. Like you left it kind of. Yes. What I did though, is that I notched up the frequencies of the notes that the bridge was playing. Um, Okay. So it was playing, a very high C and then was also playing um, an A, a G and a B in about a couple octaves down. Um, oh, okay. and those lower notes would kind of smear in and out depending on how fast the wind was moving. Uh, but that high C was strong the whole time. So what I did was just find those notes in the EQ and I bumped them probably not much, really just like maybe two or three DB and, uh, it was oh yeah that's not yeah because there it was it wasn't necessary even for some of it It as only certain parts that i really wanted to come out a little bit more 
Um, but yeah, the whole, the whole point, like, but Zach and I were talking about it. It's like, let's just present what it was like to be there. Cause it was really amazing and exp- experience mm-hmm. to, to play with something on that large of a scale. Like it, uh, it was like trying to get really directly in tune with the wind. That's really what I was playing with. Like a force yeah, of nature yeah. that, you know, I, I said on the, on the NPR thing that it didn't know I was there. And I actually kind of regretted saying that because I don't know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah, right. I, I, that was a bit of a declarative <laughs> statement that is like, you know, uh-huh. it, I, I really did feel like I was getting in touch with some greater thing. And it was really exciting because yeah. that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to do with music often is get close to the source of where it comes from. And this felt like a really good experience, uh, to get, you know, close to what it's like to play with wind in the Bay area and how it moves and how it swells and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why I was so drawn to it. Cause I've been ex- just exploring this with my, basically my, my modular synth turned field recorder, yeah. you know, just walking around in different areas and just finding the, the sweet spots. And I'm, I'm still on that journey of like finding the, you know, I took it on the ferry and walked mm-hmm. around, but it turns out it was just a lot of, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's like, okay, these things that are really cool sounding to me outside, like I, I, I they're not necessarily going to be great mm-hmm. here. So like, I think today even I'm going to go try and, and find a place that has cool sounds, whether it's, yeah. you know, somewhere where there are people or wildlife or whatever. But I just, I, I love that sentiment of being like, I'm, I'm, I, cause I, I think it's just like a, a even further branch from, from this idea of, of modular synthesis, you're like playing with the instrument Mm -hmm. in a way because it's just kind of going and a lot of voltage and you're just kind of, you're guiding the electrons down the wires, but a lot of it is, is kind of like not up to you. And I feel like just introducing that to the, in a natural sense too, is just really exciting for me. Or maybe it's just an extension of my writer's block or something (laughs) that I can't write my (laughs) I don't think that's true, but, um, but yeah, I think that's why I was just so drawn to this. It was there a moment like when you started like playing with the bridge, um, did you kind of, was, was there kind of a, uh, like a, what's the, like a calibration stint of time where you're like trying to find the groove or did it feel kind of natural and happen quickly? Yes. There was a time at the beginning, um, where I kind of had to get on its level because right. I was really okay. at the moment, you know, I was, we're hiking our gear down this trail. We're setting up. There was a sense of like, we need to get this going quick because we don't know how long the sound's going to last. So there was, there was some anxiety actually in the setup where I was trying to really just make sure everything was set up correctly. Um, so we can mm-hmm. really capture this correctly. Um, so yeah, the first, you know, actually though i'm just re- remembering that the the first song is actually the first thing i played with the bridge um oh really okay so that calibration moment is actually the first thing you hear oh that's kind of cool actually yeah like i like that and that's why there's so much space actually there's i would kind of play a note you know to just see how it blended with the sound environment that I was in and then let a lot of space pass, see what the bridge was going to do and then play another note. And it's, 
yeah, it's it's kind of wild that I'm realizing that in this moment that it, it that calibration was really captured and shared in the in the actual recording. Mm. And on the other end of it too, the very end of the session is the end of uh, of the record. Like we recorded with it for about four okay. hours, like maybe maybe more like two and a half with little breaks. But like there's a four hour chunk of recording, and uh, mm-hmm. I. I really was relatively constant throughout that process, taking breaks to make sure the cameras were working, but there's a constant flow of ideas happening and I kept everything in the order that it happened as well. But, um, but yeah, to get back to your question, that calibration to get on the level of the bridge was, uh, it was very satisfying once I was there because I actually felt very comforted. That's what I was going to ask. It wasn't comfortable at first. It was pretty intense because I wanted to make sure it was going to work. There was that sense of like, I want this to happen. Uh And then once I was there, I felt like, oh, I'm just in this like sonic space with this bridge and it's doing what it's going to do. And I'm here to support and explore it. And sometimes it would, it would do things that really felt interactive I'm, I'm not saying it's a sentient being necessarily i'm just saying that there was things that were happening that were like oh we're, we're really interacting and creating um some moments here and other times it would be a more yeah. static presence where it was kind of like here's a bed of sound explore it so it was it was both uh-huh. of those things yeah that is so cool yeah there there must have been like i mean i'm, I'm i guess i'm i'm like i'm projecting my own feeling or what I, what I think I would feel at these moments. But there's, when you did lock in and feel like you were like in a groove with it, like how good did that? It felt great. And I feel like I've been dancing around this this whole time, but I'm just going to say that the bridge really felt alive many times in those moments. Like, yeah, just like the earth is alive. The wind is alive in a sense. It's, it's a part of everything that we are a part of. So to say that it's not Mm -hmm. living in some sense, I actually think is incorrect. So there were moments where I was like, wow, <laughs> like I really felt in communion with this object and the wind. And it was, it felt really great. That. It was that, that thing that I look for a lot in my relationships uh, with people and places and things. It's, it's just that feeling of being in the flow of it. And that was yes. an incredibly unique version of that. Yeah. I keep saying it in, in, uh, in the intros of the last few podcasts, but I keep telling people that they need to go out into nature, find a river and go full submersion, no matter how cold the river is because, and I call that, I, you know, when I go, every time I go camping, if it's April between April to, you know, late September, I'm getting in that river because that's making communion with the, I can, that's what I call it. I call it making communion yeah. with, with the area around me. And it just, it, it connects me to it and it makes me appreciate it. And, um, and yeah, it's, it, that translates over to music. And I think that's why I like the environment so much. So I'm, I'm, I'm very much, uh, I'm very, very much, uh, in the same head. Yeah, I feel it. Yeah. I, I'm also goes. into it's the cold cool. water. I, I love getting in the ocean when it's cold and it's intense. And it's yeah. always one of those things where the first few steps that I get in there in the first few minutes, I'm like, why am I doing this? But every single time (laughs) once I'm in and the rest of my day or a week or month is a lot better. And it's in ways that I can't quite quantify, but it just overall makes me feel like I could feel my whole body. I could feel my breath. I could feel the environment that I'm in. I feel the weather more. It just all kind of Mm -hmm. locks in, in a way that is, uh, yeah. Freeing actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
for me, if I'm going to a camp spot and it's on, on the river to you set up camp and then go in and it's, and you're right, you're right. Like it, it sets the tone for the entire camping trip. Um, and there's something about that. Like the colder, the better really, as far as I'm concerned, because when you get out like that, we, it feels like natural icy hot all yeah. over your body. And that's just like, you know, it just changes your mood and you can feel it in your bones. And, um, yeah, you're just like, you're acclimating and, and calibrating to that Definitely. area. Um, yeah, I sleep with a, I sleep with the, the, the field recorder at my head just in case I get woken up. By oh, like wow. Some weird That's a cool idea. Noises or something. Yeah. 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 I've been trying to get coyotes forever because coyotes in the middle of the night is like one of the most eerie sounds, but I haven't, I haven't been able to capture mm-hmm. them. They, I've heard them twice. And by the time I get my field recorder on, they stop. So I think they're like, they're taunting <laughs> me, but I've got owls and ravens and geysers. Oh, that's amazing. All sorts of cool yeah. stuff. Yeah, I did. I took my my synth to. This was before I was using my synth as a field recorder. So I kind of, I I really want to go back. But I brought my my battery powered synth to uh, to mm. Yellowstone, and was like performing in front. I found a geyser that went off every thirty minutes. So we went Whoa. to that geyser before the sun came up and before anybody went there. And I just set up and started playing and filming until the geyser went off and had the the guy the sound of the geysers on the field recorder. Wow. But I want to go back and like process the sound of the geysers through my oh that sounds amazing yeah yeah that's 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 my next that's but it's kind of hard to talk my wife into going to yellowstone two years in a row for our anniversary trip just because (laughs) i want to make an album (laughs) (laughs) um oh god i was gonna ask you another question was there any like emo like i feel like with the sound that it the the sound that the bridge makes and like just kind of the, you're describing this whole experience. Did it ever kind of feel like imposing or kind of like, like, like sometimes you get in front of a mountain, like a really big mountain and it gives you this feeling of like, Oh, you're the boss, you know? Yes. Like, I, yeah. I'm, I might adjust the language a little bit, but there is a sense sometimes where I, I thought I was going to get into something and, and the bridge was like, actually we're going to go here. And it uh-huh, was, uh-huh. uh, yeah, there there was a lot of following that I was doing. I was really like listening and reacting a lot. That was mm-hmm. most of what I was mm-hmm. doing. Um, it wasn't it wasn't ever aggressive though. It wasn't ever truly imposing. It was uh, it was moving at like kind of like a glacial strong pace, and it was uh, mm-hmm. it allowed some room, but it also was like. I'm getting to the point where I'm probably going to lose the language that's going to accurately describe how it feels, but it's, it's like anything that is so large and so part of the natural environment, like wind is just like a, a super massive object really. And it's, it's mm-hmm. such a part of the atmosphere that makes up the entire earth that you, you feel like you're, you're a part of that or you're, or you're reckoning with that. And uh-huh. that is, uh, yeah, I, the words don't quite get to what that really feels like, but that, that's why I, I related it to like thunder or if you've ever been around like a tree, a massive tree falling or lightning or any other natural things, weather events, like there's kind of that, that feeling going on with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dude, that's, I'm. I could talk about this, uh, like literally yeah. all day. like this is, this is so cool to me. This is really cool. Um, I thought I had one more question about 
Oh yeah. So, so you said you had like four hours recorded, like, and was it all in one day? This was all one well, session. It ended up being two days because the first day ended up being kind of more of a field recording day. Like we, okay. We kind of set up and we, we made a little bit of music and the bridge kind of, it died down before we really got it going. And then day two was really like, I, I don't think any of day one actually was released. It was kind of that, but it, we, I do have a lot of field recordings from that day. Um, day two was, was everything. So, um, okay. yeah. Okay. Day two was like really the, the recording. So after the session, I just picture cause especially like you did this with your friend. So it like, it had, it had meaning in, in more ways than one, like after the session, like, did you guys just like spend the rest of the night, like, like listening to the recordings and like being stoked on the experience or like how much time did it take to like select out of the hours of recording? Like mm. what you wanted? Yeah. To we, use? we didn't immediately listen to the music. We kind of just let it be. Um, we spent time back at Zach's place in uh, the Oakland Marina and, uh, just kind of, we kind of had conversations like we're having right now where we're just like, like mm -hmm. appreciating it and considering what it meant to do that. And also just catching up like old friends too. So the, the but the process of, yeah. of editing was, uh, that was the, one of the biggest parts of it was figuring out what of this should be the record. Cause there was part of me that was like, do we just release all of this and just kind of let it be this long piece of exploratory uh kind of spontaneous composition level uh music making but the more i listened to it i found that there were motifs and melodies that i kept returning to in sometimes the same harmonic context but also sometimes in new harmonic context but there was a few motifs that just kept showing up and it was all improvisation so i i started to consider those moments as the things that should be the record. It's like, if these things continue to come mm -hmm. up, then that must mean, or it does mean to me that they're meaningful to this particular drone that the bridge was making. So if mm -hmm. you listen from kind of top to bottom, you'll notice things seem to repeat, but it's really just me rediscovering a similar melody or a similar motif again and again, and also okay. creating okay. Uh, some new chords that would happen uh, as the piece continues, but those, those little melodies revealed themselves to be the record. And I edited around okay. that principle. Yeah. Okay. That's, uh, that sounds like such a, like a fulfilling and rewarding process from beginning to end. And, uh, yeah, I'm just like the, uh, the, the unevolved side of me is jealous of you experiencing all that, but I feel like the well-adjusted side of me is, uh, just really excited for you that you, you got to do all this. It's really, well, it's really, it's unique. still making sound. It's not, you could go up there and tune into it. You know, yeah, I've been thinking, I was like, <laughs> I'd like to go check it out. <laughs> it's worth checking out. I, cause they are trying to, uh, stop it from making sound. So they, I'm sure they will succeed mm -hmm. at some point. So, um, if you do have time and the weather is right, I would recommend it. It's a, it's a unique thing. Okay. I also discovered that it's not the only bridge on the earth that does this. I, I heard there's, there's one in New York. Um, there's something in Baltimore. I also heard there's something in Japan that does something similar. Um, but the golden gate is just the most well-known 
on the earth, you know? So yeah. the fact that it was yeah. doing this was For sure. really, really special. There's, uh, there's, uh, there's I, I almost don't want to say it cause I'm afraid somebody's going to do it, but of course nobody's <laughs> going to do this. But, um, last year I went up to Mount Rainier and there's this hike that goes right mm. up the side of the mountain and you're just like looking down on these glaciers. And if you go up in the morning as the sun's coming up, it starts heating mm. up the glaciers and they start yeah. slightly moving. And it's the most eerie sound because like when I first heard it, like one of them was like 20 solid seconds long and I was standing there looking at it. I was like, I'm about to die in Mount Rainier's eruption. You know, I was really thinking that because I didn't know that this happened, but as I was hiking along, I just noticed it. It's like, Oh, this is just something that happens. So I want to go back up there and see if I can process that sound through. I would have to hike my my synth up the side of the mountain, but I'm, I'm seriously that sounds like a very worthy it. recording. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully I can, I can get it to make some noise for me. Um, okay. So we're, we're almost done. I don't want no, to take I'm up too much to of your here. time, Thank but, um, yeah. I, awesome. I went to, uh, just to listen to your stuff this morning and I saw that you released a new EP. Did that come out on Friday? Um, or? Yes. I've been releasing singles from an upcoming album called Sundays. That's going to be okay. out. September 24th so it looks like an EP at the moment because we're kind of stacking them on top of each other in the playlist but that's uh okay that's part of those are the first four songs of the album yeah okay um and what is, what is there like a kind of a are you using the guitar synthesizer on this yes. as well this is a record you know not too different in terms of uh intention from the duets album which is uh you know finding and preserving and highlighting and magnifying inspiration and spontaneous moments. Mm -hmm. This is, uh, that same concept put towards, uh, music with musicians instead of a bridge, I guess. But this, this record was already happening. I, I had started this before the bridge idea popped up. So, you know, that's why they're kind of similar in terms of intention. Um, but yeah, the music is all, uh, made with Carlos Nino, who's a percussionist, uh, producer. Um, and we really started it together as kind of a duo. And then we brought in, uh, Jamire Williams on drums, Josh Johnson on saxophone. And, uh, it's all music that was created, uh, you know, as improvisations and then kind of edited and refracted, um, similar to what I was talking about with the bridge where certain things would reveal themselves as the song that's what I would do with these recordings too. I'd listen back and be like, okay, these moments, uh, are the, the music, they're the tune, they're the melody, they're the chords. And then the improvisations that happen within that, I was pretty liberal with how I was editing things, but also, um, very open with how they were being preserved and highlighted as meaningful, Mm -hmm. uh, interactive moments. So yeah, all, all of my music is coming from that place of inspiration and sharing possible realities right now it's like creating worlds either by myself or with other musicians Uh, the idea of universe creation is what we're doing so there's a sense of improvisation that might be coming from the lineage of like more classic jazz or uh that type of thing as well but we're using uh like language or musical devices that might be pretty far from that but it's it's got that kind of uh, okay. intention behind it of spontaneous creation. Yeah. Awesome. I love how much thought goes into all this. I love the I, 
idea of universe creation and um, your whole your whole process just sounds very thorough and uh, very inspirational. So thank you so much for you know giving me the your time today oh, to, to of talk course. about this. It's just I it's love so talking awesome. about it. I appreciate um, you you know just calling me to do this. So thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we do something on the show. It's optional for the guest and you do it on your own time yeah. when we're done talking, but it's called the patch challenge, but you can use any instrument you want. I give an adjective and noun, and then you just take those words and create a three to five minute long piece yeah. of music, um, to send over with your recording. And if you, if you don't have time for this, I'll just edit all this part out and we just won't do one. But if you'd like to take a oh, swing at to. it, yeah. I can give you some what, words. uh, does this play like as a part of the podcast? Oh, I'll great. play it at the end. Yeah. So we'll, we'll sign off and then I'll say here is Nate's, uh, whatever the name of the, are you, are you going to track me with gonna these words right now? I got my phone out to write them down. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I, I pulled, so I, I have this little, um, generator and it gave me erratic Whoa. evangelism, <laughs> but if you don't like that, we can go again. That sounds pretty erratic intense. Evangelism. Interesting. I can, can try, we try again one more and pick the best one. All right. Yeah. Let's let's see. <laughs> this is this is this is doesn't sound cool, but it's kind of it's kind of on the nose. Agreeable spot. That's what oh, you wow. found to record your. Uh... <laughs> you know, I'm gonna try erratic um, evangelism. Yeah, because agree agreeable okay, spot. I can I, I can did. keep yeah. going. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. For sure. Try try another one. Try erratic another one. evangelism. Okay. It's just this thing. This thing gives me some really weird ones. Um, uh, friendly pacification. Bizonal. No, we just did bizonal. Outer oh, now velvet. We're talking. <laughs> yeah. That's what you we're want doing. to do. Outer velvet. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, Nate, I really appreciate Thank your time. You, um, and if anybody wants to check out any of your stuff, where I'm should they present go? on just about everything. Um, so all my music is okay. available for streaming and, uh, we're pressing physical copies of things in the process of that now. So, um, I'm out there. If you search my name, I'm there. Yeah. Okay, sweet. And uh, I'll put links in the show description. Thanks again for your time. Amazing. Man. Thank you, Tim. All right, let's check out Outer Velvet by Nate Mercero.
absolutely gorgeous. Thank you, Nate, so much for being on the show. That was, uh, yeah, that was a really, really fun chat. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Please go check out Nate's work. It's It varies so much, and it's all great. Uh, yeah, that, that Duets album is just, it's really something special. Uh, thank you for listening, and thank you to all the sponsors. Patchworks.com, NeedhamWoodworks.com, and AfterLaterAudio.com. We've got some really cool stuff coming out from After Later Audio. 13 days from the release of this episode, we're going to be announcing some cool stuff. I know I've been teasing it for so long. I'm finally getting to talk about all the stuff that I've been that I started teasing too early. Really, the Euro Bureau have had it for a while. Um, I'm just so happy to uh, to get to not have to blur that out in pictures <laughs> if I ever use it in public or want to take a video of something I'm doing. Um, and speaking of this week on the bonus episode, I'm going to be talking about that. Um, I'm also probably going to talk about the 3D joystick from Dopefer. Um, I've got a lot of questions on that when I posted a picture of it. Um, so yeah, I'm going to do that all on the Patreon bonus episodes. Um, so if you would like to help me make this uh, this bonus content a lot better and to make just the weekly content a lot better, uh, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash podular modcast. I want to get some new video equipment and uh, just take, take the show to the next level. Um, what else can I talk about? I need to t- I need to tell the secret word for those of you that are still hanging on. For those of you still listening this far into the episode, this week's secret word, it's actually going to be two words. Fiddle leaf fig. Fiddle leaf fig. I think fiddle leaf is, is a, a, like a hyphenated word. Um, so maybe it's three words, but I'm looking at my fiddle leaf fig plant right now in the sunlight and it looks gorgeous. I love this plant. So, uh, if you're not familiar with fiddle leaf figs, uh, you should, um, you should Google them. They're, they're, they're a nice plant. And they also have a trait that is called, uh, totipotency. And that is, um, some plants, if you cut off a branch, uh, if you cut it off in the right way, you can just stick that branch into, uh, some water and it'll start growing roots. And then you can just grow a whole other plant from it so extra points if you put fiddle leaf fig in parentheses totipotency in the comments section of the post about this episode on uh instagram i feel like that got very convoluted but that's that's kind of how i i do things i think it'll be fun um yeah to everybody listening thank you so much for coming out we're uh, I th- this is either episode 170 or 169 we are we're getting up there we're inching closer and closer to 200 episodes and closer and closer to four years that this has been going on it's pretty crazy to me um yeah but that's all the rambling i'll do this track that you hear right now and uh the track that you heard in the very beginning of the episode are from my album that's called terminal hymns it was my last album that i made before uh, i took the dive into modular and i've been much less um prolific since then but that's a conversation for another time until next week Gunshot victims left waiting. We gotta sound like the trailer guy from the movies. Gunshot victims left waiting. As a horse dewormer overdoses, overwhelm Oklahoma hospitals, doctor says. So, Rolling Stone tweeted this out. They got a story. We're watching Home of Fox Nation. Sorry, put that in front of my face there for a minute. My apologies. You don't need to see my face. I got a face for radio anyway. That's the difference. 
So, according to this story, Rolling Stone, hospitals in Oklahoma, their words are overwhelmed with people taking the horse dewormer, the horse-based ivermectin, and even gunshot victims are being left in the waiting. This is according to a doctor. Oh my gosh, that's a troubling story. Again, my sister lives in Oklahoma. I haven't heard these horse-based stories at all.